Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, an hour of inquiry, reflection, tantalizing questions, remarkable possibilities, the exposure of perhaps some conspicuous dissonance, and more, all in an effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. This is an hour where conversations explore the reality and meaning of it all. What is it I can say I know and why? Who am I really? What is consciousness and how do I know whether I'm truly awake? What does it mean to say I believe? And what is it I can say I know to be real with some epistemological certainty? Each week we undertake anew our search and discovery of the human potential. Sometimes we shatter myths exhibit logical errors, and otherwise open ourselves up to the possibility of being wrong. That's right. Perhaps we're wrong. With the necessary courage to uncover our own limitations, we truly expand our awareness, and in this way, at least we hope, become more enlightened. To do this work, we must first get past our own brainwashing. I think of it all, as you know by now, as mind programming, the title to my latest book, this programming is typically so deep and, and so much farther reaching than most would possibly think that it goes to the very heart of who you are and what your last original thought might have been. If you've had one in the present, past, at all. Think about that. What was your last original thought? Truly original. If you're thinking about that question, then it should come as no surprise to most of you that when I ask this question, I usually get an answer that sounds very much like silence. What are we to think, then, when we discover that our ambitions, the car we want, the home we would like to own, the clothes we wear, the way we talk, and the words we use have all been given us? In other words, through the media, our enculturation process, the fantasies we have engendered, and the beliefs we have taken aboard, we have truly alienated ourselves from who we really are. Think about that. Is it true of you? My charge with this show is to bring special guests to you that can share meaningful insights into the purpose of life and your true potential. My guests, and myself for that matter, often challenge you in ways that may initially make you uncomfortable. But my promise to you is that if you'll stay with us just a bit, you will learn much about yourself. And for me, well, that's what it's all about. To thine own self be true. My guest this week is a very special, and we a very special person, and we're truly honored to have her join us. She does very few interviews of this nature, so we are indeed fortunate to have her share with us. Her story is definitely one on a path of enlightenment. Her school genuinely teaches the mysteries, and I mean that literally. I've attended on more than one occasion and would be revisiting the school regularly if time were not such a factor. Indeed, I once intended to move closer to her school just so I could take advantage of its trainings, but circumstances changed that plan. The four cornerstones of the philosophy her school teaches are, one, the statement, you are God. Two, the directive to make known the unknown. Three, the concept that consciousness and energy create the nature of reality. Four, the challenge to conquer yourself. Well, now that's what this show's all about. She is a remarkable person, 
and has given through her Humanities Foundation more than a million dollars to some 200 graduating high school seniors so they could continue their education. She was born as Judith Darlene Hampton on March 16th in a magical year in Roswell, New Mexico. On February 7, 1977, an entity she calls the Enlightened One appeared to her and her husband in the kitchen of her Tacoma, Washington home. Since those humble beginnings, she has gone on to become a modern legend. Here today to share with us this incredible adventure is the woman that channels Romtha, Jay-Z Knight. Welcome to Hay House Radio, Jay-Z. Well, it's an honor to be on with you, Eldon, and your esteemed audience. And I must say, in that introduction, sort of said it all. Uh, now what do we talk about, Eldon? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think everybody wants to know about you, the human side of you first. At least, you know, the people I talk to, and I've talked to a lot of them, you and Ramtha are synonymous and... And it's always, well, what is she like? And I remember the first time I met you, 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 you totally disarmed me. I, I had, of course, attended. I had seen Ramtha uh, and, and this powerful figure. And then it was a couple of days later after initially seeing Ramtha that I met you. And you were this, uh, well, I say in my book, you disarm me with your beauty, your apparent fragileness and and your your wonderful demeanor and i said to you before we got on the air you just get younger Uh, so i'm going to ask you about that in a bit but let's start off if we can about what was it like for you i mean your family uh basically were farm immigrants isn't that true Yes, that's true. And, and, and so you came from very humble background, and I think you were, your home was actually a trailer, wasn't it? No. Um, <clears throat> when Ramtha came to you? N- no, it wasn't. Um, well, if okay, we go, but you were, if we you, go I mean, back... very modest, very modest <laughs> background, very well, look... modest means, and suddenly here comes Ramtha. What was it like for you to deal with that? Well, first off, let me address my humble beginnings. My mother was a cotton picker in East Texas. Um, I was born in Roswell, New Mexico, 1946. And, of course, the joke is is that the aliens dropped me off and then their crash crash happened the next year in Roswell, which is a fun uh, concept. My mother uh, had to fix the car to drive herself. Uh, a borrowed uh, vehicle to the hospital in Roswell to deliver me. Uh, my mother uh, took me in a crate box along with her. She hoed cotton and picked cotton. And then um, she migrated to uh, to Texas, right outside of Rockwell, uh, Texas, outside of Dallas, actually. And my mother was a farm worker there. <clears throat> and I tell people who think, oh, my goodness, this is, this is a sad story. I was the most blessed and beautiful uh, incarnation, because my mother lived in a farm worker's shack. Uh, now, this shack had planks uh, for walls. There was no such thing as insulation or wallpaper, and the knots from the wood would fall out, and my mother would take uh, can lids uh, from canned goods and nail uh, into the wall uh, where the knot had been to prevent the wind and weather from getting in. So, uh, there was no furniture. There was only mattresses, and the only piece of furniture that we had was in 
the kitchen, which was a sort of style, uh, a, 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 the style of a picnic table, a, two benches and a, a higher bench for eating off of. My mother had a well pump at the sink, and uh, uh, the stove was a wood-burning stove. Uh, her cabinets were made out of orange crates and covered with flour sack material. Uh, it was really, really charming. No electricity, pumped water, uh, heating only in the kitchen. And I, we're talking tiny. We're talking like 600 square feet. Uh, the outhouse was out and back. Uh, we didn't have yard or flowers or anything like that. Um, and so my mother, uh, I was next to the youngest. My baby brother was born. But we went all to the cotton field every morning at 5.30. My mother would get up at 4 and cook all morning, get us breakfast, and then haul us off to the cotton field. My friends and our neighbors were African-Americans, beautiful beautiful people. Um, they would start in the cotton fields singing the glory of God every morning and with their beautiful heads wrapped in this, this lovely cotton sack material. And uh, we played all day underneath the cotton wagon and I would try to jump on my mother's cotton sack as she would drag it along. That was how we had fun. Now, the reason I say this is such a blessed life is because uh, when you have nothing, when you have only the means to support yourself. Now, re remember, back in the 40s, there was no health care. There was no Medicaid, Medicare. There was nothing like that. So, we, so, you know, when you went to the doctor, it was a serious, serious thing. And either you had to have something to trade or money to pay for it. So by the act of not having resources that made our lives more comfortable, it prompted a, a wiring in the brain that could reach for extraordinary abilities to take care and to remedy life's uh, most stressing situations. So in that context, my mother, along with all the field workers that I lived with daily, uh, had uh, knowingness. Uh, they had ways to cure gashes. They had ways to to uh, know that, for example, the kids shouldn't cross the river the next day to the bus stop because something was going to happen. So they had really developed uh, and wired through survival their midbrain uh, activity, which is uh, rides on a frequency called infrared, and many people call that psychic ability. But it's not a gift. It's wired in every single one of us. So I lived in a, an atmosphere of knowingness <clears throat> and preparation. Now, the reason that this was such a gift to me, because it allowed my own brain to be wired to know and to be able to see, uh, which all of us have that ability, because we had no distractions. We had nothing that saw for us. We had nothing that took care of us. And so that survival uh modality in our brain kicked in. Now, that wired me from birth. And because of that, um, it was very, very common to cure things in this, this working environment from what people would call the day they'd have to go to the emergency room. It was very easy to cure uh, problems that would happen health-wise because 
I understand later that they actually introduced a concept into our brain that we were well. And because we accepted it, our bodies healed themselves. So we didn't have a lot of health issues and we didn't have a lot of of dangerous drama in our life. And this allowed me in this incarnation to have nothing to work with people that I consider divine uh, and wired me for a greater destiny in my life, which I would need. And so in those uh, plowed fields in Texas uh, is when I started hearing this voice and started seeing things. And because I was open to it, now mind you, I'm only three years old, four years old. Uh, We moved when I was five years old. Um, I had this wonderful ability of, of something that started teaching me early on. Now, when I say that, I would reckon that with sitting in a lecture series in which every day this voice would teach me these remarkable things, and I didn't even know all of the words, didn't understand them, so they came as pictures. The word would come, and then the picture would come. And all my life, uh, that's been with me. When my mother moved to New Mexico, we lived in army barracks. Uh, there was no babysitters. There was nothing like everyone needs today. My mother walked to work early in the morning, came home. We took care of ourselves, fixed the supper, walked across the vacant lot to a hamburger stand and cooked till 10 o'clock at night. All of this uh, was, it was important in developing my own exploration, my own evolution of experiences as a child. In other words, I didn't grow up as my mother. I didn't grow up as my siblings. I didn't grow up as the babysitter, as the kindergarten. I didn't grow up in any of those levels. I was actually very free to experience life uh, in these different age segments that allowed me to know uh, things greater than what most people knew. In other words, my acceptance level of a broader reality was way intact before I began elementary school. And we, uh, we got to move up a little bit in society. My mother married. <clears throat> we lived in a house for the first time, and I had a bedroom for the first time, and that began the whole saga of maturing uh, in Artesia, New Mexico, uh, yet taking with me always what I had learned as a child and having extraordinary abilities all through school. Uh, my life went on to marry, to have children. Um, I had this ghost. Uh, my kids could see this thing and called it ghost. And I always considered it someone protecting us, uh, as many people can relate to this. Um, it wasn't until... Uh, 1977, that Rampa appeared to me in Tacoma, Washington, uh, in a house. And my husband-to-be at that time, a dentist, and I were making pyramids because uh, when you live in Washington, there's fabulous natural forests, uh, national parks that you can hike in. And the hiking club was always after better ways to dehydrate food, to take it on you to make your burden lighter. And there was this great book called Pyramid Power. Eldon, you may have remembered it. Well, we we were on 
we were on making pyramids to scale sip antihydrate food. And after an exhaustive, very funny weekend uh, on a Sunday, uh, Rampa appeared in my kitchen in broad daylight. And that began this tremendous saga in 1977 in February that has continued for 33 years. Wow. Now, I don't think most people know that story. I didn't know the story. Uh, and, and indeed, as you tell the story, I think about young people today and how much time they spend plugged in, plugged into the television, plugged into a computer, plugged into, you know, some some game of some sort, and how little, therefore, of themselves they ever really get an opportunity to to experience and I was I was juxtaposing that in my mind to what you were explaining as your early background and thinking you think it's possible that we would have more psychic ability if we had spent uh, an early developmental period an early maturation period similar to what you did absolutely I agree with that uh, 100% I wrote all of this in a best-selling book and went on tour in 1987 called <clears throat> The State of Mind. It was published by Warner Books. And this story is in that, and it won all sorts of awards. Uh, I wrote it myself. I didn't have a ghostwriter. Um, and, Great book. And, and people can read all about this. But let me come back to your point. I absolutely agree with you <clears throat> that we have in us all the aspects, even in our DNA, of course, though what is in us in our DNA are potentials that lie in our brain as well to, to become truly remarkable. Uh, if we look at a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, that the process of metamorphosis is about the caterpillar not dreaming being a caterpillar any longer, but having a dream of being a butterfly because it's now bored of being a caterpillar. We have that remarkable ability in us to change. In fact, change is, is the freeway to evolution. We have in us sonar, uh, like the mammals of the ocean do, that can send out a frequency many, many miles ahead of them, and the information comes back to their brain that can actually map the undersea's environment uh, on where to go and what not to do. Now, that same quality, we have sonar in our midbrain, which I call the psychic brain or the brain of the future. And that only kicks in when we allow it to kick in. And every once in a while, we get to have this insightful uh, precognitive dream. I know your audience will, will recall that they had a dream that happened or in some moment they had a vision of something coming uh, that that was so stunning to them, they took action and changed uh, how they were going to go about their day or, or, or on the freeway or whatever that incident is. Many people say that that happened to them. But I say, no, you leaked it. This is a constant part of your neural net, of your ability to know the future in, in all of its aspects. And we have it there in our DNA and in our brain so that we can survive uh, the shadows of tomorrow or we can create in tomorrow what it is we want because 
of the information we get back. So this facility that people like to call intuitiveness or psychic ability, all nearly 7 billion of us already have that. It's not a gift. It is innate in us. When I say we leak it out, it's because every once in a while when we're, when we're sort of in a, in a moment where we're not thinking of anything, we're not texting, we're not calling, we're not computing, uh, we're not filling our day with distraction, it slips in and we get it. But it's always there. And so I tell people this. Now, when it comes to raising children, I have a very, very different um, view on raising children as we all have been children. And I think it is a special time that we shouldn't get over none too soon. We shouldn't rush our children into adulthood. But I can tell you that if your child does not have imagination, if your child is not allowed to play outside in nature, the most healing um, consciousness in our environment, if we put them in front of computers, if we put cell phones up to their heads, not only are we threatening them with, with brain tumors, we're programming their neural net in their brain to function like bees under a queen bee, that they all are of one consciousness and work together to support the hive. So I look at children today are in high consciousness, and they're in that, and, and we're going to talk about the difference between brain wiring, consciousness, and mind, and they're all three uniquely different aspects of who we are. We wire our brain so that we can belong to a hive consciousness, and in that, we have safety and security in numbers, and so our individuality is our individualness of our incarnation becomes dimmed because what makes us individual is coming back here to make known the unknown, to, to qualify and to quantify evolution by new ideas in our brain, coming from streams of consciousness in our brain that we isolate and freeze upon a new concept and then work to create the reality to make that concept viable. Right now, um, we have a hive consciousness in the world. We have struggling individuals breaking out of that who are our prophets, who are our seers, who are our leaders that are endeavored to steer uh, our world and its politics and its religion in different directions so that the hive can go into a different direction. My, my insight onto children is, is that these are individuals who came here to own their emotional addictions by the maturity of knowledge and experience. And if they get no experience and they only get programming, they're not going to own it and later in their life, they're going to be bored with their life because they don't know what to do with the life. And they're always going to be asking, what is the meaning of my life? My joy is based upon my friends. My joy is based upon getting an applause. My joy is based upon my beauty. My joy is based upon my age. All of these things 
when youth passes and and we're no longer in the spotlight, that is where depression and sadness and all of the elements of self-insecurity start to come because the self was only a bee and not an individual. So I truly believe that we harm our children, we harm our children by plugging them in. I think the greatest way to raise them is to teach them with plug-in, but to insist I agree upon with their you, but own. We've opinion. got a hard break coming here, Jay Z. So I'm going to have to hold it for a second. Now, listen, you uh, want to check out these teachings, and you do that by going to www.ramtha.com. We are all very aware of the power of belief, but are you aware that many times it is your inner beliefs that cause you to sabotage your own dreams and goals? Success is so much more likely when your inner beliefs are in line with your outer goals. And now, using Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk technology, you can do just this. InnerTalk is a patented subliminal technology and is the only such technology to be researched by numerous independent universities and institutions, including Stanford, and been demonstrated effective at priming your self-talk. There are hundreds of titles to choose from, ranging from weight loss to esteem, organized and efficient to prosperity and abundance, attracting the right love relationship to winning sports performance, accelerated learning to accelerated healing. Eldon Taylor's patented InnerTalk technology is your key to success. Check it out today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. InnerTalk.com. Life is a journey. Each choice we make takes us down a certain path. But what if you found out the choices you made were not in fact your own? Or that hidden forces have kept you from reaching your true potential? Are you ready to break free? Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions, now revised, expanded and updated. Many have praised Eldon's breakthrough work. Actress and author Linda Evans said, He's given us the tools to transform our minds and therefore our lives. Actress, author and advocate Lindsay Wagner said, Enjoy the journey. I did. Psychic medium and author John Edwards said about choices and illusions, Read this book. We are living at a time when people are searching for answers to fundamental questions in their lives. This book can be, if applied, a roadmap to personal enlightenment and empowerment. I believe it can tune in the frequency you are currently operating on. More important, it helps you see that you can manifest change. Choices and Illusions is available from all fine bookstores, including Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. For more information, please go to www.eldentaylor.com forward slash choices and illusions. Get your copy today. Your life will never be the same. My guest today is Jay-Z Knight, and before the break we were discussing her experience and thoughts on uh, children. And uh, I, I was about to pose a question to you before we had to go to that hard break, but uh, the question would go like this. Don't you think, Jay-Z, that a good deal of the adults you see out there today are indeed living the hive life you have described, 
that our children are destined for. Yes. So given that that's the instance, uh, I, I mean, I have my own perspectives, but from your perspective, how do you go in and start opening up the adult so that the adult can experience their potential? Well, <clears throat> all right, I got it. I've got to put all this knowledge in a small segment. So please, we, when you're on, you're 25 with minutes. Me. 25 <laughs> minutes here now. Okay. And we'll, and we'll do we'll do a whole other show on it if we need to. So you take your time. I have seen over my long tenure uh, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, famous, infamous, ordinary. I happen to be of the opinion that everyone is a celebrity because of the value of what I know we all are. So I hold us to a very high standard, a, a compliment, if you will. One of the most important uh, criteria for understanding yourself sometimes has to come in the midst of adversity. In, in adversity, <clears throat> we see things didn't go as well as we wanted to in the hive. Uh, we weren't what we, what the high thought we should be, or because we accepted, we empowered other people's opinions about how we should be, without ever developing how we are. And over the years, I have seen that adversity brings us sometimes to our knees to ask very important questions of God uh, and and the contemplation of ourselves. There has to be more to me than this. I keep doing the same thing every single day. In fact, I would say to those people, you don't have a future because every day is living as you did in your past. So how can you have a bright, shining morning if the morning is just more of the same of yesterday morning and the morning before and the year before and so on? And people look at that in contemplation and go, that's right. I, I don't look for anything exciting today because I can pretty well determine that uh, this is how it's going to turn out. Sometimes in adversity, we ask simple questions. What am I worth? Why am I even here? Um, I've, done, I've made so many mistakes. Um, I, I'm a bad person or I'm a good person. I just don't understand why isn't things working out for me. And I find that adversity sort of crashes uh, the wonderland of a neural net of hive uh, mentality. And adversity is a gift because it brings us to our knees uh, and makes us look at our addictions. Secondly, some people come into this life and they are compelled to redefine spirituality. They are intelligent, highly intelligent. They ask tough questions. Uh, they begin a journey, a spiritual journey, that some would say, well, it's just a spiritual, invisible sort of melange. But in reality, those who make that journey see that, that the spirit of things is why things are. And so they come to an understanding that all the world and all the people in it came from an invisible concept. And so they're after understanding that invisible concept. Along the way, 
their teaching and learning more about their part in this manifest destiny. And in that, usually end up at our school reading the books because they've sort of gone through the religion, culture, politics, society, and even into the quote-unquote new age uh, and coming out of that the other end and still not having their needs met in understanding their value because all of these things take the power from them, not give it back to them. And so they usually end up here and saying, well, there has to be more uh, to being a spiritual person. And Ramtha will answer them and say, there is. It's you. And you are a material manifestation of a incarnating spiritual being. You're here to make known the unknown. You are here. Invaluable you are here to have new ideas and new concepts and make better that every day is the future you create, not relive from yesterday. So they undergone a whole new revelatory experience because the experience they get is really is about body, brain, consciousness, mind, spirit, reality. And all of these are subjects in school that are studied and then experienced to empower everyone, not to the fact that they're spiritual, but to the fact that they know that they're a divine element in matter, making a difference in the world, their world, as they see it. So many people make it a hobby of being, you know, they have a hobby religion, they have hobby spirituality because it makes them sound good. And unfortunately, in the hive, we seek those belief systems that cover up or give excuses to our behavior and not the real uh, thorough self-examination that doesn't reveal badness, but reveals remarkableness and that real joy and bliss Joy is not an emotion. It is a state of mental being that the body rejoices in, that when they find this in themselves, they have are on a journey in their own life, that this individualism, that this remarkable ability plays out in their day-to-day life. So I find in my long tenure, as you so well put it, Eldon, that real answers doesn't always make people happy. I can tell you that uh, because their belief system is based upon information that excuses um, is a hobby of how they believe and supports their limited experience. And yet, They have to have real experiences to prove to them. For example, in quantum physics, you create what you observe, that it's shocking to most people to know that if they believed in a system that supported bad choices or supported uh, the lack uh, lusterness of one's life, 
that belief in them to that degree manifested a reality that their reality could only be lived within the confines of their belief system. And every other opportunity is closed to them after that. I say to people, because I have been taught this from Ramsa, I have gone down that tunnel since 1977. I have seen the other side for thousands of times. Uh, I, I'm not in my body when Ramsa uses it. And science proved that in 1997. So I'm gone. It's like a near-death experience. All of this rich experience uh, of where I've been and coming back, and Ramtha as a teacher, has shown me knowledge that first I had to find in myself that enlightenment is a pretty, pretty statement. But most people don't know what that means. It's simply one of those belief systems that allows us to feel good. It's a hobby sort of thing. But the real knowledge behind enlightenment is as simple as this. Learn all that you are in science, how your DNA works, your brain works. Learn the difference between consciousness and energy. And the fact they're the same thing. Learn the difference between mind and your brain. Learn what reality is made of and then be put to disciplines that can actually forge that knowledge into surprising, beautiful results. When you learn that, the lights will go on in your brain, and you will be able to master your past because you have something greater about yourself that you want to do. And so the past becomes not a hardship, but rather a wisdom, a no thing any longer. And enlightenment then, is, is that we have, quite frankly, changed. Not because anyone wanted us to, and not because the hive wanted us to or didn't want us to, but we changed from the inside out, that we found our uniqueness. We found our beauty. We found our possibilities, and that we learned how to use them. And now the future is something we create anew, rather than destroying it by living in the past every single day. Now a person has their headlights on. Now a person is a viable being in creating reality. And if 7 billion people knew this knowledge, we wouldn't be facing the elements that we're facing today. We'd have long transcended that as a worldwide society. And, and, and it makes you wonder if the world will ever get that message, Jay-Z. But I want to digress just for a moment. You, uh, you're talking about hobbies. I see, and, and of course, I know you will correct me. That's one of the things I love about you. You, you, you are not timid. No. Uh, <laughs> no. I see a lot of people using self-help as a hobby. So what they do is, is they get a hold of, uh, this teaching or this book or this idea or they follow this person for a while. And it's kind of like, you know, they go to the seminar, they get all excited, uh, they know it's going to really work for them. But when we do follow up studies on those, you know, we, we discover that 30 days down the road, these people don't do anything. They, they, they procrastinate. They decide, well, maybe they need yet another training. 
Do you think that there is a pattern that we could call the hobby of self-help as well? Yes. That, yes. I, I, there, it's an addiction. You know, when we talk about addiction, when Rampa talks about it. addiction, you're, I agree. You, immediate, I love it. you know, you immediately, Eldon, people out there think, oh, it's, it's a smoking, it's a drug addiction, it's alcoholism, it's a sex addiction. Well, those are all correct. But those come from our brain, how we're wired. And we're wired to get emotion out of every moment. And so there's no drug that's made out there that the brain can't produce and doesn't produce. The only reason that people take drugs is to try to emulate a natural joy, a high, a freedom, that the brain has the ability to utilize all of these chemicals, but they come they come as a result of a new thought pattern. So if we understand that addiction is all about emotion, then Ramtha says to us, so the greatest addicts in the world are addicted to your emotions. That's the bottom line. And addicts addicted to their emotions because no one has ever showed them that there's something beyond emotion and where emotion needs to fit in the experience of one person's life. So if emotion rather than knowledge leads us every single day, we are only as great as our past that's given us those viable chemicals, and then we go on to do assorted things to, to, to get the high every day, to get the joy, to get the laughter, to get feeling good. It, that's all chemistry. It, it, yeah. it, and so every day, you start dying. I mean, your DNA, and we'll get into this later, you, you start using the same code in your brain and you wear out that DNA code that is connected exactly to your neural net personality. And it wears out and that's why we grow old. Now, in context with that, self-help groups, everyone that goes to it, in my opinion, is doing a wonderful thing for themselves. A wonderful thing because they're compelled to go because they admit to themselves they need help. And that is a very, <clears throat> uh, as big as you want to take it, but the bottom line is addiction and it's emotional addiction. Whatever they say, it's a great thing because they're recognizing that they need help. <clears throat> now, what happens is that they go and they get talk, 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 and chant, 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 and buy a few crystals and light a few candles and, you know, they get that sort of thing. And so they're high off of it. So now they believe they have hope that they can actually change and come alive again. Unfortunately, none of the things that are ever taught challenges them beyond their neural net, doesn't give them any new knowledge that can demonstratively show reality. Remember, a person's reality, their life in context of people, places, things, times, and events, elders. People, places, things, times, and events is a pattern that is simply reflected in the world and in our life and in our circle that, is, that there's a law that holds all of those together and that law is how we're wired up there. And we only see ourselves 
in people, places, things, times, and events. That's how we see ourselves. But if people, places, things, times, and events are there to see ourselves as good or bad, to get the emotion, to get the suffering, to get the pain, to get the depression, to get the angst, to get the stress, to get the high, to get the joy, to get the sex, to get the drugs, to get winning, to look better. That's a law that we can't break unless we change the wiring in our brain that then changes people, places, things, times, and events. So individuals go home and they have no new information. It's all about, it's all about continuing their emotion. And what happens is they've never been taught anything meaningful. And I say that harshly, but when you want to know about yourself, you need to know all about yourself. And it, and it isn't psychological. It's meaningful science. It's, it, it's meaningful study. It's meaningful understanding of how you can make something happen and then how nothing happens. For example, people go home, they, they do it for a little while, but you see, the high from the self-help carries over for a day, a week, or so, and then it peters out because it's an emotion within their fixed reality. If they really wanted to change, they would have to step out of the self-help and say, okay, I did that. I'm grateful I did that. It means that I'm looking for an answer. Now, what is it I really want to know? I really want to change, people will say. And I really want to see those changes in my life. Bingo. Say that two or three times just in one day, and your reality will create the path that leads you to where you should go to begin to uncover yourself. And that's what I, I say. I agree. Now, I, and I'm, I'm going to drive the point a little bit with you in, in about five minutes that we have remaining here. And, and clearly, we're going to do this for another hour. So it, the listening audience out there, please understand that we'll have a segment. We'll have another show. Uh, we're not going to drop this without getting into the science that uh, Jay-Z mentioned, uh, the DNA, and a number of other things. But But while we're on this point... You indicate that the people go there and don't learn anything. I so often see they go there and hear only what they want to hear. But isn't that the same point? It it is. And so, you you know, I guess what what I see when I do that is I, well, let's take something that is maybe a little controversial. Like you did the film, uh, What the Bleep, wonderful film, had a lot of science in it, had some really quality people there. Uh, it was showing how important it is to go inside, to look at who you are, to really get past this, this pretend fantasy that most of us think we are. A, a terrific film. But then along came this other film, The Secret. <laughs> now, as far as I was concerned, you know, this is a joke first, right? Because it's not a secret. Second, you know, it's not telling us anything that we don't want to hear. Uh, third, isn't this a path away from discovering who I am as opposed to a path? I mean, what's your take on it? Well, first, the lady who, who wrote the book studied with Ramtha in the 80s and then figured out that she was a channel. And, 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 I didn't know that. But what happens, but what happens is, 
is that people who aren't the genuine article are really good, and some of them are quite brilliant philosophers who can say a lot of things, but don't have the wherefore-all to teach the student how to apply that knowledge in a viable setting called a discipline and watch it work. So they learned early on that people don't want to hear disturbing things, so they're going to flower everything up, and then they take all this great and fabulous knowledge and they can it into wishing. That's all you have to do is wish. You know, that is a bestseller because that's what everyone wants to hear inside of their neural net. But, and I think it served very, very well to help people to begin to understand something more pragmatic, more beautiful about themselves, but utterly failed in saying, this is what you need to do, and this is how we can initiate that. Now, <clears throat> in let me just let me quote something. Well, you're going to have to go to a commercial no, break no, no, here. Please go ahead, quote. Well, for example, there is you know recent news, um, and and the news was DNA changes with psychic consciousness. Scientists research the power of words on our DNA. That is a remarkable paper that came out, but it's not just any words, and it's not just any frequency. It's certain frequencies that we have to choose that can change our DNA. If we read a book, we're going to categorize a book that tells us we don't have to do anything, that we just have to wish. Well, <clears throat> if that's against the law of your emotional law that makes your reality, it will never happen. It sounds good, the hive likes it, but nobody's leaving the hive to go on their own adventure. <clears throat> and so in the context of What the Bleep, What the Bleep was a groundbreaking movie. There's there's three more that are about to come out that that I'm in that are just fabulous movies. What it did was it bored the audience with science. But unless you can understand how there can be a hundred basketballs on the court and which one do you want, unless you can understand that, you don't get it how you change your life. You don't get it unless you understand that you have to change the way you think in order to get a different basketball in your hand. And we had to put the science into the movie so it would validate what one could do to heal their body, to heal their spirit, and see that all these options are available to us and that sometimes it takes terrible adversity to bring us to the point to ask that question. And then sometimes it just bothers us enough that we want to ask the question. And I think they both serve a tremendous purpose. The only, we'll have to the pick o that up, Jay-Z, <laughs> in our next segment. Okay. <laughs> We've come to the end of our hour. Uh, we'll hope you join us again on Provocative Enlightenment. Uh, we're going to have another segment. It will be segment two with Jay-Z Knight because there's just too much here uh, to cover, and we were just unable to do it in this show. So be sure and stay tuned uh, and catch that next episode. We appreciate you being with us, Jay-Z. Thank That's you. That's it for the evening.